Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm David Kimura, and today on our panel we have Eric Berry. Hey everybody! And Andrew Mason. Morning. And today we have the privilege of interviewing a very special guest, Javier Xavier. Xavier. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. So, uh, can you uh, tell us a bit about who you are, what you're involved in, and just why you're famous in the community? Well, I I don't know if I am famous, but anyway, here it goes. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I have a background in mathematics. I started doing software professionally in 2000 and have been working on software since then. I have been independent doing freelancing for the last almost 10 years. And during all these years, starting with the 2000s, I have been always involved in some way or another in open source. In the 2000s, I was uh, a bit into Perl. And after that, I got involved in Ruby, Rails. I've been in the core team since 2011, I believe. And my last work doing in open source has, has been Zyber, which is the the library we are going to talk about today. Yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were the recipient of the Ruby Hero Award a few years back. That's true. That was, I believe, in 2010 with Aaron and Greg and, yeah, a few others. Yeah, so that's uh, quite an accomplishment. And then you're also a Rails core maintainer. Yes, so I was um, given a commit bit uh, so in 2010, and I worked a lot in documentation and other stuff. But I had I had like a personal interest in documentation for a long time. So yeah, and finally I was invited to join the the team in 2011. So it's been wow, it's been almost seven years already. Yeah. And- I, for one, want to say that people who spend the time to document do not get enough credit. So really kudos to that because I think the Rails community, the Ruby community in general has such great documentation. Recently, I started crossing paths over to Kubernetes and the documentation over there is just absolutely horrible. Everyone has their own opinion about something and then half the things that they have published out there don't either don't work or they're missing large gaps of information that's needed. So yeah. I'm greatly appreciative of quality documentation. All right. So today we brought you on to talk about a 
Rails gem or a gem called Zeitwerk. Would you mind explaining what that gem is, where it got its name, and why someone should use it, and where can it be found? Awesome. So that's a Ruby gem. It was motivated by something to improve in Rails. But in the end, so I started working on this gem within active support. The thing that I wanted to improve was uh, constant auto-loading in Rails, right? So I started uh, working within active support and was like uh, trying to follow the current way that things are implemented, uh, which is like a, a global thing that manages um, constant auto-loading and also uh, reloading and that kind of thing. And I noticed that I was writing class methods the way the current implementation more or less works. Like, like you have just this, this one thing that, that uh, manages all this. And looking at the implementation of the, the first drafts, I was like, why am I writing class methods here? This could be instance methods. And from there, I jumped to the idea of pro being able to provide this functionality for any RubyGem. So then I stopped working in the Rails code base and I started working on an independent gem. So, so Zyberg, uh, it's, it's going to be integrated in Rails, in, in Rails 6, but it's an independent gem. Okay? So the idea with Zyberg is that any gem and any web application written with any framework can use auto-loading and also eager loading, reloading if you are writing a service and you can have your own um, manager of constants in your own gem and it's going to be independent of any other one. There's no global configuration. You can have your own inflector, your own logger, your own setup, your own state, okay? So the idea is that if you are a gem author or you have a library that it, it doesn't have to, take to be technically a gem, uh, any library that has uh, like a, a regular, you know, directory structure, let's say, a project structure can, can use um, Zyberg. Okay, so any project can leverage this just following a project structure, a conventional project structure, naming conventions, and that uh, allows you to uh, not write requires. So we, I had two motivations for working with DGM. One was to improve auto-loading, but the other one is that when you write a gem, any, anything that is not trivial, it's very easy to forget requires. Okay, requires have a, a global side effect and uh, it's very easy that you forget some. There's no way to, you know, to, to, you have to be very disciplined otherwise, okay? And in my experience, that, that's hard. That's hard and you get, you get bugs that depend on the on the low on the on the code path, you know, depend on um, load order, that kind of thing. Okay, so I wanted to be able to use auto loading in standard gems. Also, there might be a feeling. I I, I personally have it uh, at least if you follow a regular project structure, you know, where you name files according to the constants that they define. There's like a, a feeling of I am repeating myself. If if I have user.rb um, in a in a standard place and I have to do require user to use use user, 
there's like a redundancy. I in, in those requires I am just replicating what is already in the file system, and that could be automated. You know, it's again convention of over configuration. You follow some conventions, and the win is that you can forget about writing requires. Everything is like like ab available everywhere. Regarding the name, you asked for the name. The thing is that initially this project was called Autoloader, very humble name, Autoloader. But when I was about to release it, I realized it, that Autoloader was taken. So I had to look for an alternative name. And I took inspiration from something that is a, like a, a, a personal, I am aficionado of mechanical watches. So I love mechanical watches and all the things that they imply like uh, perfectionism, attention to detail, art, engineering, you know, there's, there's a mix of things there that, that, that attracts me. And it's like one of those things that inspire you, you know. And there's a special, from all, uh, you know, the catalog of mechanical watches, there's one particular model that is my, my, the one that I prefer, okay? And that's one by Alangian Zona that is called Zyberg. So the name is just, you know, it comes from that, you know, internal, let's say, inspiration. Cool. So the basic idea, I guess, to recap with uh, Zeitwerk is it will make your development life easier because you don't have to worry about including in or requiring files in your code snippets or whatever you're creating. It's just going to intelligently auto-load those so you can just focus on the development and not have to worry about requiring in the files. Is there any gotchas to that with having to maintain a certain kind of uh, namespacing or uh, file naming convention or anything like that? Or is there any chances of conflicting with another file or module? Yeah, so the idea is that the file names have to reflect the constant that they define, in, including parent namespaces, let's say. Well, namespace is not a formal word in Ruby. There's no like a formal concept of namespace, but we are going to use it just, just uh, because we, we know we, what, what we mean, right? So, yeah. so for instance, if you have a file called user.rb, that file should define a constant called user where the, the first letter is a capital letter, the rest of the letters are lowercase, right? Then if you have a directory, call it admin, and you have admin slash user dot rb, that should define something, call it admin colon colon user, right? So directories represent namespaces. Yeah. The namespace can be implicit, which means that, as it, as it happens in Rails, if you have just directories and you, have, you do not have an, a file called admin.rb, you just have directories that are called admin, then Zayberg, as uh, Rails does in, in classic mode, we, we say today, is going to define a module, a, a module for you. So you can spare you know, defining a file just to define the admin module. But you can if you want, and that's very common, define also what, what, what I call an explicit namespace, which is a namespace that is defined in a file in addition to have uh, directories with that name, for instance. My canonical example for that, let's say you have a, a class, call it 
uh, hotel, for instance, and for organizational purposes on the code base, you want to extract everything related to pricing to um, a module that you're going to include, okay? So you extract part, part of the interface just to not have like a huge file, you extract it somewhere else and then you include. So you are just moving, you know, to a different file methods that are going to be used in hotel or uh, belong to the API of hotel. All right. In that case, you have hotel.rb, which is a class and has staff, you know, defined in its own, in, in its own um, file. And then in a file that lives in a hotel directory, you're going to have pricing.rb. And that pricing.rb is going to define hotel colon colon pricing. So that's like a super standard structure. It's not like it's, you, you only need to follow these conventions and it's just going to work. Then you have a way to customize a little bit the naming. For instance, if you have HTML underscore parser.rb, that should, in principle, define HTML parser, the constant HTML parser, where in HTML, only the first letter would be uppercase. Now, if you want to define the constant as with, with uppercase, all HTML to be uppercase, you, you can do it. Then the way to do that is to define uh, what I call an inflector, which is a very simple class with, with one contract, this one method, that is going to, there's, there's a contract that you are going to configure this inflector and when the file to be inflected is HTML parser, th this inflector is going to say, hey, this is going to be inflected this special way. And that's, that's the only thing, basically. Yeah, you use the HTML example, and I was thinking in my head the API reference that I think a lot of people have, where it just it looks funny having a, that lowercase p and lowercase i. Yeah. So it's really cool that you guys you know thought of all that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in Rails, that mostly works because uh, in in the classic mode, you go from constant name to file name. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you have a directory, call it API, for instance, API uh, underscore is going to give you API lowercase and it's going to work. That's classic mode. In Zyberg, we go the other way around because the techniques that we are used, uh, we, we can talk about that if you want, uh, go in the other direction. So in, in classic mode, from the constant name, you go and find a file, while in Zyberg mode, given a file name, you're going to infer which constant should that file define, okay? That's in opposite di direction. So having an API directory needs some help with a custom inflector, or if you are in Rails, uh, defining an acronym would, would, would work as well. You know, in, in, in the initializer, you can, you can define uh, an acronym uh, for the Rails inflector, because so the, the Rails integration of Zyberg uh, sets as inflector active support because that's what a race parameter would expect, right? But uh, Zyberg instances outside Rails are going to, they have like a very, very simple deterministic uh, inflector that does just, you know, a very simple substitution and there's nothing fancy, there's no configuration, no global way to change them or anything like that. It's super deterministic, you have control about that, you know? But in Rails, you can define an acronym, for instance, it's going to be pick it up. When this launches in Rails 6, do you expect to see a performance increase then? 
I don't I don't know. The the main motivation for this is is the semantics or the logic, let's say. Right. The technique that is that has been used in Rails since the beginning, what we call now uh, classic mode, is based on the cons missing callback. And the cons missing callback has some limitations. Okay, so the implementation does the best that it can do, but the technique itself has has uh, has limitations. For instance, so basically the way classic works is Rails installs a cons missing callback, a global cons missing callback. Cons missing is a callback that that is called whenever a constant is missing. So Ruby hits a constant, tries to resolve the constant using algorithms. If the constant cannot be resolved, then it, it is going to call cons missing, which is a callback. The default callback right. is the one that raises name error, but if you override that callback, it's going to, be, it's going to call you, right? So you get the constant that was missing, and you get the module in which that constant was referenced. From there, dependencies are B, which is the, the insider name for that uh, functionality in Rails, goes and walks autoload paths trying to find things. Okay. The problem is that cons missing has some limitations. For instance, you do not know the nesting at the point in which the constant was not found. Okay. The nesting is, is, is uh, information that Ruby uses in the constant resolution algorithms. Okay. But you do not have it. You also do not know if the constant was relative or was qualified, let's say. You do not know it. And the way to resolve that constant depends on that. So we have like two fundamental pieces of, of, of information missing. Then there are other things. Since cons missing is the last thing that is called, the algorithms, for instance, when, if you have a, a relative constant, Ruby does the following. First, it goes up, it goes out following the nesting. It, it looks for the constant in the modules and classes that are in the nesting. And if it is not found in any of those, then it walks the ancestors of the, of the most uh, inner uh, modular class in the nesting. And well, that, that's more or less the thing. Okay. And only at the, at the end, uh, so I, this is not like a, a precise definition of the algorithms, right? But the point is, only at the end of this walk is going to call cons missing. What happens if the constant that you are looking for is defined in one of, the, of these spots should be defined, it should be lazy loaded from one of these spots, but, but while walking, it finds a constant with the same name uh, some, somewhere else. It is not going to call cons missing. It is going to find, to resolve the constant against something that was not your intention. And sometimes these things depend on load order as well. Another one is that cons missing is not thread safe. Okay, so there's, there's a number of things with cons missing that prevent the functionality to match Ruby semantics, that's the point. And in the algorithms, when you say that uh, Ruby checks if the constant belongs to a given class or module, there's a step that says if it does not belong, there is there an autoload for this constant in this object? And if there's an, an autoload, goes and executes the autoload. So autoloading, in this case, we are talking about module autoload, which is something that is present in Ruby, okay? So classic autoloading in Rails does not use 
module, module autolot at all. It uses this, this trick with cons missing. In Zyberg, we use module autolot because in, in every single step where Ruby checks for the presence of constants, it checks if there's an autoload for that constant. And if it's there, it goes and loads the file associated with the autoload. And that is the central idea in Zyberg, to base autoloading in module autoload instead of cons missing. But this couldn't be done in the past. So cons missing was the best that, that we had. There has been some changes in the, in the language or APIs that have allowed a technique based on module autoload to be possible because this is like the, 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 the idea, but then this idea has also some difficulties, okay? Some difficulties that with uh, current Ruby uh, or C Ruby, I would say, you can overcome and uh, the semantics are correct. It, it works. So nowadays it works, okay? Yeah, so those, those, those are difference, the, the differences. Then, since this was a new project, there was some things that I wanted to take into account, so we are going to the performance question. Motivation, semantics, correct autoloading. Then, regarding performance, in general, things are going to load a tad faster, should be, done, should be that way, because uh, since this gem is new and I could include in the design or, or guiding principles for writing the gem, some things that I have learned in the, in, the, in the years that I have been involved with this because autoloading dependencies and constants and that kind of thing is something that has personally interested me. So Zyberg avoids doing uh, work paths, so works in the, in the, in the, in the, in the paths, like, like uh, load path, autoload path, that kind of thing. Okay? So the gist of that is that it, it is a rule of the project that internally Zyberg only uses absolute paths. So when Zyberg does a require to load something indirectly through module autoload, it sets, it always configures an absolute path. So the famous thing where you have a require with a relative thing and then Ruby has to go through load path and check whether the file exists, that kind of thing which is costly, that disappears with Zyberg. Okay, if so, if you ship a gem that depends on Zyberg, it's going to it's going to load faster in that sense. Everything is going to be absolute files, and that's by design. Okay, in Rails, it could be that you do not see this this uh, this improvement because since five something, normally Rails applications use Bootsnap, and Bootsnap speeds that up. Okay, so the combination of Zyberg and Bootsnap like neutralizes that, that benefit from using absolute file names. But if you are not using Bootsnap, you're going to load at that faster. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com rogues. 
That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Yeah, so is there going to be any issues with non-UTFA characters in previous directories? So let's say if my name has a umlaut in there, uh, and that's not part of the Rails application at all or the directory structure, but it's the name of my home folder. Because yeah. it's using absolute paths, is there going to be any issues like that? Or is it going to just you know, work as we would expect it? All right. So another of the principles of the project, like I have like a, these 10 rules of Zyberg, okay? So another of the rules is that Zyberg does as little hacking as possible and depends only on uh, APIs and the standard Ruby. The, we, we have to do some little things, but I've tried those to be a minimum. So the answer could be, if the standard Ruby file iterators give that file in a correct way and then require, is able to uh, you know, to, to, to load a file that contains those characters, it should just work. Cool. And this is kind of a parody uh, question here, but would you be able to load the Zeitwerk gem into Zeitwerk to speed up the relative requires within Zeitwerk itself? Ah, good question. <laughs> I have not found a way to do it in the sense that well, is the, the bootstrapping problem, okay? I, I need the logic that is implemented in Zyber to be able to uh, autolot uh, itself, okay? So, no, no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't use itself. It could be, like, beautiful, but <laughs> not, not there at least today. <laughs> and so, with the finding of files, you know, I really liked how you guys said it's going to go to the, basically the closest matching file near where it's, you know, essentially being called for. Is there any kind of indexing of absolute paths of a Rails project that could be used to, as like a uh, partition map to find them even quicker? Or are we talking about diminishing returns at this point? Because I'm just thinking on a really large project that maybe has 500 models or controllers, a lot of different services or background jobs and stuff like that, that we could be stacking, adding on time instead. All right. In that sense, another of the principles of Zyberg is to be as lazy as possible. Okay? So Zyberg, as, as I said before, works with module autoload. Module autoload is an API that if you are in module M, you are able to say, if you are missing X in M, go and find this file, okay? So let's do an exercise. Let's suppose that there are no namespaces in your application. You have one autoload path or several autoload paths. An, an autoload path represents the, the, root, the root namespace, which is object, okay? So when Zyber has a, an initial step, you have to configure these paths. If you are in a gem, it puts lib directly as, a, as an autoload path, let's say. And in Rails, typically you have several, like app models, app controllers, whatever, you know. So what Zyber does is it, it does one walk of these of these things, 
to set auto loads that correspond to the files that it finds. So it works app models, and if it finds user.rb, it's going to set up an auto load in object to load user.rb associated with the user constant. Okay? So it's going to do one walk just to set auto loads. It is not going to recurse into subdirectories. One of the technical difficulties that, that, that you have with this is namespaces. So the, the, first, the first prototype of, of Zybeck was written in maybe one afternoon, and it was 60 lines of code. So supporting this without namespaces is relatively easy. It's, it's with namespaces that the thing starts to need all the techniques and it's going to, you know, it, it needs a little bit of more of thought and that's a prototype. From there to the gem, uh, we have, uh, you know, so more, more lines of code and more, and more time. Okay, so if you have a namespace, then it is not going to descend into the namespace eagerly. It is going to do it lazily. For that, I use a trick, which is to, so if you detect that there's an, uh, there's a, an, an admin directory and there's no admin.rb, what I do is I set an autoload on the, on the directory, okay? That's one of, the, one of those little tricks that the library uses because autoloading is for loading files, okay? There's no require of a directory is, is not well defined. In Ruby, well, it's not defined at all, you know? You have to, to load files, okay? So in order to be able to be lazy, we set an autoload on the directory. And then there's a very thin decoration of kernel require. This was one of the changes that was needed for this to be possible and happen it in, in, in Ruby 2.3, uh, in CRuby.2.3, which is that uh, autoload previous to that version didn't use kernel require. Autoload used an internal implementation in C, something that you, could not, you couldn't decorate. But in order to, to one of the things that, uh, that you need to implement Zyber the way it is implemented is to be able to decorate at least a little bit require because you need to keep track of what's loaded and, and you need to maybe to do some traces if login is enabled, you know, you have to do some things. So, so it is a very, very thin decoration, but there's a little decoration on kernel require, okay? Well, so what happens since we have that decoration, we can in that place say, if what you are requiring is a directory, that's mine, okay? And well, and I have, I have, you know, like uh, an structure that that says, yes, yes, this is mine. Uh, we are in charge of this one. So, in the case of a directory, kernel require is not called at all, you know, upwards. So we in, we intercept that one, and then when the admin namespace in this example is going to is is used and we know that because the require has been triggered, then we descend into admin, okay? And that could be distributed in several 
even in several uh, root paths, let's say. You could have admin in controller, you could have admin in model. In that moment, you descend and set autoloads in admin because you cannot set a qualified constant name with autoload. Autoload only accepts a simple name, okay? You have to have the object in which you want to have, you want to put the autoload. So, in order to autoload admin colon colon user, you cannot put in object autoload uh, a string admin colon colon user to this file. You cannot do that. You have to wait and have the actual admin module, the object. Okay, let's refresh that in Ruby, constants and class and module objects are totally separate entities. They have nothing to do except for the coincidence when you, when you define them. Normally, you store them in a constant, and from the constant assignment, they get the name. Okay, mm -hmm. but that's it. From that point on, they are totally independent entities. And a constant is like a variable, it's a storage. So when you say the string plus, and you write a string, that's really an expression. It's a, it's a constant, it's like a variable, okay? It has a value stored, and the evaluation of that expression is a class object, okay? So in Ruby, everything are objects, class and modules are objects, and we do not have a special syntax for classes. All right, so we need to wait for the actual module object in order to be able to set the autoload on the, in this example, the user you know, uh, nested constant, okay? So we do that lazily. Also, there's another trick, which is what happens if you have an explicit name space. So, so you have hotel.rb and hotel slash pricing.rb. That's, that's the most tricky one, because in order to load hotel pricing, you need to have the hotel class hotel class the hotel class object in order to have the hotel class object you need to evaluate somehow the hotel hotel.rb that's the file that defines hotel you cannot eager load that file because hotel.rb probably is going to refer at the top level to hotel colon colon pricing so you have a chicken and egg problem there you cannot load pricing because you need hotel first, but you cannot evaluate hotel because it's going to refer to pricing and there's no way out of that, okay? Well, there's a way out and Zyberk implements that. <laughs> That's a little trick. So this one is also lazy. So only one walk, you set absolute file names everywhere. And if there's a subdirectory, you only descend as used. If it is not used, you are not going, you are going to save that work. In these days, I have been working closely with someone from Shopify. They have like a super huge, large code base and they are using already Zybrick in CI. So yeah, if it works for Shopify performance wise, yeah. it's going to work for almost any other project. Yeah, that's really cool. Is there a larger memory footprint? added to the Ruby process because of site work? Or is it so small that it's negligible? I have not me measured it, but it should be neg negligible in the sense that we store like the very minimum structures that we need to work, okay? Mm. So uh, we store, for instance, what has been loaded, okay? Or what, or what auto loads we have um, 
declared or defined, and that's something that, in a sense, the classic mode also does. The classic mode also remembers what has been autoloaded. Okay, you have to remember it because that's how reload is implemented. Implement reload is implemented by removing the constants. Okay, in both modes, in classic and Zyber. So in classic mode, you autoload the way I described it before, and then how do you reload? I believe it's brilliant. It's a very simple idea, and it works beautifully. You just go and remove the constants. That that's exploiting the fact that they are like independent things, you know. And since you remove the constants and you had like a global const missing callback, well, in the next request when you find constants that have been removed, they are going to trigger const missing again, okay? And that's similar. So, in order to remove the constants, you need to have a, you know, in memory which have been the constants that have been autoloaded. So, there's nothing like huge storage in memory except for the minimum, you know, the paths or something like that. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be a, like a, a, a big footprint. Cool. If you're migrating a Rails app to Rails 6, let's say, is there any uh, configuration you need to do to opt in to using Zitework? Yes. So uh, Zitework is going to be the default autoloader in new Rails applications. But if you are upgrading, uh, then you have to do a few things. First of all, in, com in config application.rb, there's a, there's a line that says low defaults. Low defaults has a version number, okay? So if you have low defaults 5.2, for, for instance, that one is not going to load Zyberg because Zyberg is only uh, enabled by default, in, I mean, in the defaults of 6.0, okay? So if you have config low defaults 6.0, you are done. It's already enabled for you. If you are still in the defaults of the previous version, then you have to enable Zyrek in the next line saying config.autoloaders equals colon Zyrek. So it's a, it's a symbol, everything lowercase. Okay. Then you may need to have, you may need to do some adjustments. So in general, things should mostly work as before, but there are some caveats. For instance, if you have bootsnap also enabled with the defaults, you have to be in Ruby.6, uh, 2.6, uh, sorry, because there's a bug in Ruby 2.5 that at least uh, as of today has not been solved that I am aware of. And it has to do with the bytecode cache that bootsnap stores in disk. So you have a few options there. You can, well, you, you could also disable the bytecode cache from bootsnap in, in config uh, slash bootrb, which is where we have the setup of bootsnap generated by default. And, but if you use bootsnap in default with default settings and Zyberg, you have to be in 2.6. Then there are a few more things. For instance, the API case that we mentioned before, uh, if you have something that is not inflected to match the constant as you have defined it, maybe you need to define either an acronym, which has a, a, a global 
in, in, in your race application. A scope to the race application has a, a global uh, effect, so careful with that. Otherwise, you can define an inflector, and the inflector, the custom inflector, is going to have like a scoped um, effect. It's going, it's not going to uh, affect any, any, any anything else. Then there are a few other things. For instance, one of the things that uh, Zyberg solves is uh, any known use case of required dependency. Okay, required dependency was often a way to work around things that didn't work as expected in in the classic autoloader. Okay, because the classic autoloader, due to the limitations that I have talked about before, just cannot reproduce Ruby semantics. Period. There's no way uh, you 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 miss you miss information. You cannot do it. Okay, so in that sense, I always said that the classic autoloader. Just forget about about Ruby semantics. The class, uh, the classic autoloader has a different contract. You have to program against that contract. Let's say you know, it was, it was the way to see it. With Zyberg, you can, you can. Uh, it, it it just follows Ruby semantics because we are using a technique that is built in in the interpreter. Okay, so it's it's not the merit is is of Ruby. Okay, so we are just leveraging something that is there. Okay, so uh, use cases of required dependency uh, gone. Just delete them, and it should work. There are some other common gotchas. For instance, if you have a module or class that uses a qualified name in the definition, for instance, class admin colon colon user in one line, okay, instead of module admin uh, indentation class user, okay. The difference in both examples is the nesting. In the first example, we have one, one class in the nesting, just one class object. In the second example, we have two things in the nesting. We have the, the inner class and the, old, in, uh, and, the, and, the, and the module, which is out, okay? the admin module. All right. The way the classic autoloader worked, it could be, depending on the load order, that if you have a relative constant in the body of that class, in the first example, in the example with a qualified namespace, it could be the case that it founded the constant, whereas Ruby couldn't find the constant. So it could be finding the constant in a way that it didn't work in Ruby. And that was because of this, you know, uh, integracies of, of classic mode. So since Zyberg is following Ruby semantics, the constant is not going to be found. That's like an edge case. I mean, it could happen if you, if you by by luck had that situation. It could happen. Then you just go and reference the constant correctly. Okay, either you split the definition above, or you force that you are referring to a, a constant in a certain place, something like that. There may be some, uh, you know, very very edge cases, but that that could be the most important, you know, things to be aware of. Yeah, one thought I had. So it sounds like you would be able to support calling a instance of a new class, which is actually in existence in a top-level namespace instead of within the module and within the class that you're working in. But you would have to explicitly define the path for loading that file. Is that accurate to say? In the gotcha that I was mentioning before, Okay, so the problem is, yeah, uh, I don't know if it's exactly that, but let me explain. Mm -hmm. uh, 
let's say you have you, you have to have a, a coincidence of constant names in different places. Let's say you have you are in admin colon colon user with with a qualified name in the in the class definition, all right? And then you internally are referencing to an X constant. Let's say, okay, it could happen that you have an X constant defined in the top level, like, like you, what you said. Mm -hmm. But it could happen that you also have an X constant in the admin namespace. Yeah. All right? Okay. Ruby would not find, in, in any case, the constant defined in the admin namespace. It would resolve always uh, to the top level X because admin is not in the nesting. So that's what Ruby would do, and that what that is what Zyberg is going to do. If you have X inside that class, it's going to resolve. Ruby is going to resolve because Zyberg de delegates in autoload and therefore delegates in, in Ruby. Is going to find the top level one. The problem is that since in classic mode, cons missing does not know the nesting. Classic mode assumes that the nesting is the one with indentation, more or less. There's an exception uh, implemented in some place, but maybe you do not hit that exception. It, it, that happens, okay? It happened in Shopify, for instance. All right? So the problem is that since cons missing does not have the nesting, it has to do some assumption. And the assumption is I am going to split by colon colon in the name of the module that were where the callback was invoked, and I'm going to assume that we are in the situation where we have one level of nesting per uh, namespace, let's say, all right? So, classic mode is going to resolve to admin colon colon x instead of that, uh, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the case, okay? So, that is the goal that you have the simple name, not the qualified name, but the simple name repeated in some places, and one of them is not in the nesting, but you are going to hit the nesting. So in Zyberg, so that's, that's a good thing. So that's something that you could say Zyberg fixes. It was working, maybe, but in a, you know, it was like a, by luck, you know? So it, it's better that you find it, fix it. You can fix it either forcing the namespace, you can fix it splitting the definition in different modules and classes for the nesting, whatever, you know? But the result is, is that your code is going to be uh, correct. Yeah. So I just pasted in the chat and I'll just give a verbal explanation of what I wrote in there. So if you have a class, you know, you have one class and then you have another class under a module and then a method within that module, which is calling that original first class, but the two classes actually have the exact same name, then what's going to happen is if you call within the module method, the myclass.new, then it's going to refer into the namespace of your module instead of at the top level. So you can prepend a two colons or double colon in front of your class to get it at the top level namespace instead of the namespace within, instead of within the module. In this scenario, would Zitework work as you would intend it with it getting back to the top level? Or is that how it's going to act as a default now? So the short answer is Zyberg is going to work like Ruby does. Cool. 
So there's no special rules. We have the special rules with classic mode. Not even a conflicting class name, but two classes with the same name, but one is under a module or within a module. Exactly, exactly. So the problem is that if you put two leading columns in classic mode, mm -hmm. uh, you force finding the top level one. Yeah. So that would be a workaround in classic mode. Okay, mm -hmm. exactly. So the point is that in Zyberg, you do not need the columns. Because admin, uh, in this case, my name is Space, in your example, at least with the way I wrote it uh, below, right? Mm -hmm. My name is Space is not in the nesting. And that's the point. Since it is not in the nesting, uh, my name is Space is, is just not looked up by Ruby. That's really interesting. Pretty mm -hmm. cool, too. Was there anything else that we should know about Zeitwork with it coming out in Rails 6? Not really. The message is that you are going to have the same semantics as Ruby, way less gotchas, if any at all, control about inflection, a way to introspect also. There's a, there's a way to, to lock the, the activity of, of Zyberg, either in your Rails autoloader or globally. And yeah, that's more or less it. Cool. Well, Javier, if people want to find you online, where should they go and look for you? Okay, so my universal nickname is FXN, like three letters, FXN. And I am FXN in GitHub uh, on Twitter, for instance. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. As a Ruby developer, you've probably used Redis for queuing and caching. But if you're like me, you've never completely understood it. You just followed the tutorial to set it up and then hoped it'd stay up. Now that I'm building my own services for other people, I realize that you and I often don't have the desire or time to run an ops or DevOps team or do it yourself. Plus, since you're not a Redis expert, you're not exactly sure how to know what it's doing. That's why I love Redis Green. No setup. It runs on any AWS region I want so I can run it near me. And the tooling is amazing. I have to tell you about this feature, actually. It actually maps the memory you're using and tells you where all the memory is allocated. So this makes it really easy to see what's going on in your Redis setup. It also runs on AWS, so it scales easily and can alert you when it hits certain thresholds in performance or capacity. Sorry for going all fanboy on you, but I love this tool. Here's the thing. If you don't want to do ops or are already on Heroku or something, then use Redis Green for the rest. It's simple yet powerful. Check them out at redisgreen.net. Well, uh, let's move on to picks if we have nothing else. All right, Eric. Yeah, I've got one that I'll share, and it's one that I don't know if I've shared before, but it's a tool that every time I sit down with another developer, they're like, hey, what's that? And it's called Octotree. It is a Chrome extension that will allow you to traverse GitHub with its own built-in navigation. So instead of you know, going to GitHub and pressing T and then start typing or even navigating through the folders, it actually has a full folder tree that you can open up as a sidebar and navigate around. So it's an open source project. Huge respect to the team behind that. But it's, uh, yeah, Octotree. And I think just Google it, Octotree. That's Is it just a browser extension? Yeah, it's a browser extension. Okay. I, think they're, I think it's only for Chrome, though. Cool. Right, and I'll hop in with one. So I have three kids, ages two, four, and five. And as such, I like keeping them occupied sometimes. So I got them Nerf guns or the little Nerf shooters. 
And so we've been having a blast with that, shooting things off the counter and making the wife upset. So it's been a lot of fun. And the other day I went out and got a daddy Nerf gun. It's a big Gatlin gun while they had these little single shooters. So I'm chasing them around the house, shooting them with the Gatlin Nerf gun. So it's a lot of fun and they love it. All right, All right. And Javier, do you have any picks? All right. So as I said at the beginning, I am a consultant nowadays and I need to keep track of what I do. And I used a few things in the past, but they are normally services of some sort, either remote or running locally. And that always uh, made me a little bit nervous. You know, you have a service that is counting time. What if there's an interruption? What? I don't know. You know, uh, I don't quite like the idea that something has to be continuously running while I work in order to have an accurate time. So I discovered a while back a command line utility, very simple but very useful, called Time Trap. So Time Trap is a command line utility where you can lock anything that, that you do. And it is just an interface to an SQLite database, basically. So you say, I am starting working on this, you know? <laughs> That's a row in a database, done, all right? You can have a shutdown of the machine or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. And when you are done, you say you are done, it registers, you know, it compares timestamps, whatever, you know, you can resume tasks, you can list, you can grab them. So it has uh, an interface, you know, uh, to be able to access that and list uh, your, your history, have different sheets for different projects, whatever, you know. But it's very simple. I, really, I believe that that thing is, is uh, brilliant. So that is my pick. Awesome. Well, it was great having you on and talking with you today. Definitely learned a lot about autoloading, a lot more than I knew that there was to learn. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. All right. And we'll call it a wrap. We'll talk to everyone later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>